Good to see everybody. Iowa, 20, or excuse me, 30 to 7. I am not ready. 30 to 7 win over the Kent State Golden Flashes. I'm Corey Bratta here at Iowa, the voice of college football. And of course, from the Hawkeye of the Storm, we will be joined uh, in a little bit by Iowa coach or former Iowa coach Don Patterson. He will uh, be here to talk about the Iowa victory. Uh, lots to unravel. Um, I think we kind of looked at this game as a, an opportunity for Iowa to grow offensively. I think we saw some growth in certain areas. There are still concerns, though, and of course, we will get to those. We are also taking your calls, 860-499-3332, 860-499-3332. If you want to call, we'll take your questions or comments. You can call us now. You can call us when Don is here. Of course, he is making his way uh, back to his home where he will uh, join us. Good to see a few on the chat here early. Hawkeye Howard, you are a fourth of the way, right? Let me do my math right. You predicted 12-0. You are a fourth of the way to your 12-0 prediction, so let's hope that continues. Um, getting a phone call here. Let me respond to this guy. Again, we are taking your calls, your chats, um, questions, comments. Whatever, whatever the case may be, we are going to get to this subject of the officiating in this game. Um, I, I don't have much to say other than um, the overturned catch, the catch that uh, was for not by Tyrone Tracy. That, that's a, just a disgraceful call. Uh, that there is nothing else to be said about that. Um, and, I, you know, I... It, it, it kind of flashed back for me the Des Bryant catch. If you're a Cowboys fan or you're just an NFL fan in general, I don't know how many years ago that was, but uh, probably four or five years ago, the Des Bryant catch where he did not hold on to it through basically rolling over on the ground and standing up. And um, it ended up being an incomplete pass. The referees, it, what's amazing about this call today, and I said it when it happened, had the call went against Iowa initially. Had they ruled the pass incomplete initially, I can understand to a degree leaving the call as is, but to overturn the call after looking at it, th there's just no excuse for that. And Dean Blandino of uh, Fox said the same exact thing. So uh, disgusting. And Omar Harrell, yes, the Calvin Johnson rule. You're exactly right. I mentioned Calvin, the, the, the Calvin Johnson situation as well after that play. But again, it, it came up with Des Bryant uh, some years ago as well. So we'll get to that. I, I'd love to get Don's opinion on that. I, I think I know what he's going to say. Um, you know, Don, as we know, is is a, is a homer. He's an Iowa guy, but he also tries to look at things from a logical perspective. And uh, he will give us his take on the officiating. Certainly... Iowa improved on the ground. And that was the big thing I thought, at least for me, if you watch my pregame coverage, it was can Iowa establish the run? And we knew that would help them as far as uh, the passing game is concerned. And it did. Um, I've got my concerns still with the passing game. There's no question about it. But Tyler Goodson's ability to um, take advantage of holes and his burst and his, his shiftiness right now is... The difference between 
Iowa not being able to move the ball at all and Iowa being able to accumulate 30 points today. Now, two of those points came off the early safety by the defense. Um, but that run game looked a lot better today. And again, it's against a Kent, it's against a Mac defensive line. I get it. Um, but you've got to you've got to admit there was improvement up front for Iowa. I think Kyler Schott coming back helped a lot. Um, not a surprise to me at all. Of course, uh, we expect that to continue to uh, improve because Kyler is this is his first game back. I mean, he's been out with a broken foot for several or for the first two games and part of fall camp. Um, so it was good to see him back out there. Good to see Tyler Linderbaum staying healthy, and and they're they're staying healthy on the line. I keep saying that week after week. We're through three weeks now, and Iowa has not had a significant injury. Ethan Herkett, the uh, defensive lineman who's been rotating in for Iowa, he got banged up in this game. Um, but thankfully, you know, obviously we wish the best to Ethan. But thankfully, Ethan is not a starter on this defensive line. Um, does hurt depth. I mean, you don't want to get guys hurt, but this is football, and that's that's bound to happen. Omar says Michigan and Iowa big 10 championship, I think is what he means. Um, well, Michigan looked good again today. I mean, they, well, who they play Northern Illinois. Um, I don't know what to make of them again, another Mac team, um, typically a, a pretty, a pretty respectable Mac team, but a Mac team nonetheless, we'll have to see what Michigan does. I mean, Washington was not the team we thought they were going to be. And of course, uh, Michigan looked, looked good last week, but, uh, still a lot of football to come. Hawkeye Howard, Good to see you here. Um, let's see. Let's get to some comments here. Hawkeye Howard says the defense made some mistakes. Moss got burned twice. Moss got burned early. And I think, again, I, I don't know what's going on in Moss's head. I, I'm not here to speculate on was it, was it a good week of practice? Was it a bad week of practice? But my, my first reaction to some of the struggles, especially from the defense, especially the corners early, you have a quarterback in Crum who has a big arm, and you have a defense who I think uh, was probably riding high. I mean, who wouldn't be riding high after these last two weeks? Everybody's talking about how this might be the best defense, not only in the Big Ten, but possibly the country. I think they fell asleep. I, I think they fell asleep early. Um, that's not an excuse. It's not a good excuse. Um, but I would not be surprised if if a little bit of lackadaisical mindset crept into uh, some of these defensive backs, and they got burned early by by a quarterback who can throw the ball downfield, who's got a big arm, and he's not. We we said it before. He he was not going to be intimidated by the seventy thousand fans in Kinnick. Okay, he already we already went down to College Station, played Texas A and M close through one half. He was not going to be uh, intimidated now. Taking a look at uh, Kent State's numbers here, Kashan Abram. So he's the guy who burned Iowa, which um, let me pull the box score here. We've not gotten the official box score from Iowa yet. Let me scroll through here. Yeah, so Kashan Abram. Six catches, 138 yards. Um, I don't have the first stats, the first half stats in front of me. A good portion, a good chunk of the of that yardage did come in that first half. So we know that. Um, Iowa seemed to shore that up in the second half. There were still plays that got away from him. I thought, you know, the drive that ended up in the fumble, uh, Iowa got, obviously got very fortunate. Um, I know they credited Justin Jacobs with the forced fumble. It really wasn't Jacobs, and I don't think it really was Campbell. I think it was just a bad play by the Kent State um, back. 
was trying to stretch the ball over his head, kind of backwards over his head, trying to get over the goal line. That was just a bad play by by the Kent State offense, and Iowa benefited from it. Um, but let's not let's not you know sound the alarm on this defense. They gave up seven points. Okay, seven. I know our expectations are very, very high right now for this Iowa team, but uh, the, the Iowa defense specifically, but uh, there's no reason to uh, to get up in arms about this. All right, Spencer not seeing wide open guys. Well, I believe, Hawkeye Howard, you were at the game. Um, feel free to call in. Give us your thoughts as to what you saw out there today. Um, you were at the game. Of course, Don was at the game as well, so we'll get Don's take. I was obviously not at the game, so I'm able to host this post-game show now. Um, if he's missing wide-open guys, I mean, yeah, it's receiver selection. Um, and I I don't know how you fix that. Uh, you know, we've talked to Don about it. We've discussed, you know, there have been some drops early on this season by some of Iowa's receivers. Tyrone Tracy had not the one that was called back, but he had a different one earlier in the game that was um, ruled incomplete. I thought, it, I thought it was worth a look, honestly. The, the first catch by Tracy that was called incomplete on the field, and they didn't even look at it, I thought it was worth a look. He fumbled it out of bounds, but they said he was, it was an incomplete pass. So that was a drop. Um, trying to think back, I don't know that Iowa had a ton of drops in this game. I, thought, I, I think the receivers are starting to catch the ball better. Now, are they getting separation? That's so hard to tell from a television cast. It, it just is. Um, and again, that's why we have Don. That's why we have Don to talk to us about what he's seeing at these games. Because you're right. It. It. it I. I hate to bring this up, and and this is probably pushing the alarm button a little bit too much. But I made the comment during the game today that it looked a little bit Greg Davisy. I know fans aren't going to like to hear that, but it looked a little bit Greg Davisy as far as the offense kind of. Oh, I don't know. Just kind of being sideways, uh, these short drop down routes. And I, I just I, I did not like what I saw through three quarters. Spencer looked better in the fourth. We do have a caller. Thank you for calling Iowa Post Game with the voice of college football. Who's on the line? Hawkeye Howard, what'd you see out there? Were receivers getting separation and Spencer just missing them? There's no question. Spencer, the only guy Spencer's comfortable right now throwing to on every down is Sam Laporta. And that's a problem when you have a guy like Tyrone Tracy, who we know he's got aspirations much higher than, you know, whatever he's averaging, 1.2, two catches a game. Uh, he's only ca- comfortable throwing to Sam Laporta right now. And I get it. Like you said it yourself. Uh, Sam Laporta is, he's got great hands. Um, he seems like a good route runner. I think he's a good blocker. So he's going to be in there basically every down. But you're right. It's it's a problem from from my standpoint, and it looked last week like like Petrus had formed a bit of a connection with Charlie Jones, but we did not see that carry over today. He did bench him. He did not come back. Uh, the fumbles were unnecessary. I mean, like you were saying, some of the running backs were not being hit in practice. So, right. Yeah. Well, the, the the issues now, the the issues with Ivory Kelly Martin are far beyond not getting hit in in camp. Uh, I tweeted out during the game. He, he, it's obvious Ivory Kelly Martin has a fumbling issue, and until he gets that resolved, he simply can't carry the ball. I mean, I, I don't know how else to put yeah. this, and maybe Don disagrees. He simply cannot carry the ball if you're going to fumble four times in in two and a half games. You just can't do that. 
Yeah, and I thought when Williams come in, I, I don't know his first name. I know his last name, Williams. Gavin, it's the same yep. as mine. Um, and uh, he, I thought he did a really good job. He's yeah. like a bulldozer. He's a big guy, and he uh, holds on to the football. Yeah, I think Williams, the bulldozer. Yeah. Well, he he so, holds on to the football, and, and one other thing. Go ahead. There's one other thing I want to put out there, and I didn't know, and this has really, there's only a little bit about football in the game. The train is not running anymore, and that really upsets me. <laughs> so so what was your plan? Talk Hawkeye us through a typical game day anymore. in previous seasons, Hawkeye <laughs> Howard. What was your typical game day like when you took the train? Well, when, when, I, when I usually come up here, I look forward I camp out here in Oxford, and, uh, and then I go in and take the train in, and then uh, and we get right there at the thing. And this year, with no train, and it was it was really disappointing. And I would think with a hot day like today, so so what was your alternative plan? I mean, what do you do now without the train? We had to pay twenty bucks and walk two and a half miles. And so in the heat, that probably. Uh... <laughs> Is not something that uh, is too fun. I, I mean, I've been there. I've I've, I've walked a yeah. couple miles to to Kinnick in the past, and it's not fun. Yeah, you have to park way down there on uh, Highway Six and walk up that hill and to the stadium. And uh, I'm not no spring chicken anymore. So well, I had. But, let me uh, give you let yeah, me give you a little I, story real quick here. So, 2000, I want to say it was 15, might have been 14. Um, I believe Iowa was playing Northern Illinois, although I could be wrong on that. It was the first game of the season, and I recall it was 90, 95 degrees in Kinnick. And uh, I had taken a, an elderly relative of ours to a football game, and uh, she passed out. She passed out down on uh, the corner of, I believe it was uh, it was Highway 6, whatever the big intersection is, intersection is there, Highway 6 yeah. and, and whatever street goes up to Kinnick. And... Um, yeah, she passed out, and thankfully there was a, a doctor nearby. And uh, but that was a scary incident, and it is it, it, the parking issue without the train. I, I haven't been down there this year, um, and I, again, I'd be anxious to hear from Don. I know Don lives fairly close to the stadium, but that's got to complicate things, especially with bad weather, whether it be really hot or really cold. Mm-hmm. And I just, if anybody hears this, whoever the stadium or works for the university, bring back the train. <laughs> that I, I just wish that that's the only really complaint. I love the Hawkeyes. They do, like I said. Now back to the uh, to the game. Uh, to me, it was just kind of sloppy. It, it just looked sloppy to me. It didn't yeah. look uh, some. It just didn't look like they were prepared, like they should have been. But maybe, like you said, we're high. We're we're trying to look at this. That we're holding them up here instead of down here where we should be well it's not what you expect to see against kent state right i mean you're you're ranked number five as much as i've downplayed the rankings um it shouldn't be 23 to 7 late in the fourth quarter against kent state at home i i, I get you i, I mean I'm, mm-hmm. I'm there all i'm there all the way with you and you know spencer played better i think overall but again uh i'm with you it seemed like there were again. I'm not saying on the field, but it seemed like there were guys who were being missed down the field. Um, I, I don't know if that's heat related, if that's, but it, there was not any leap of improvement 
from last week to this week. And, and then you would think there would be given the opponent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we drove, I drove up a eight hour drive last night to come to the games. So, but so where, where do you live? Hawkeye Howard? Well, anyway, um, I live in Springfield, Missouri. So you come up here every week? No, just once a year. Oh, just once a year. I thought you said just you were there a couple weeks here. ago. No, I wasn't there last week. No, I was. I was coming up here this week. Okay, so this is the uh, one game you'll make it to. to. The game. I didn't want to go to the Iowa State game. I probably would have probably ended up in the Hooskal. So, <laughs> so this is the one game so, you'll make it to this year. Yeah, I, I chose this one. It was easier, and the, the wife came with me this year, and and uh, she wanted to experience the wave and uh, everything. So, so we thought we'd just come up here this year and head back to home tomorrow. Well, safe travels back to Springfield because uh, I've taken that road and or taken that route down to Springfield, and it's a a long, tenuous journey. So, uh, be safe traveling home. Yes, thank you. I'll continue to watch. All right. Appreciate it, Hawkeye Howard. Have a good day. You too. We are taking your calls here. Iowa Post Game at the Voice of College Football, 860-499-3332. And let's look at the numbers for Spencer Petrus. 25 of 36, 209 and a touchdown. If you look at the numbers straight up, that's a solid game. Um. I think fans have gotten very impatient with Spencer and I'm not saying that it's, it's uh, I'm not, I'm not saying that's not fair. I mean, that, it is what it is. We have, we have seen a fairly large sample size. Spencer has started, you know, this is, what was this? His I'm trying to count back 11th game, 11th game started this, you know, in his career. And I mean, he started those 11 games. 10 of those games have been against power five opponents. So I get the Im- impatience here from fans. And again, I don't know how long the, the big completion down to Nico Regani was, but you take that one big play out late and you're talking about some really, really pedestrian numbers. And again, we're talking only 209 yards on 25 completions. Um, so what is that? Eight, eight a completion. But again, a big chunk of that came on that throw to Nico Regani. Um, and we can see it. Spencer's got a really good arm. If you watch him, uh, he's more time than not, he throws an accurate ball. But uh, here's the problem. You can say, okay, more times than not, he throws an accurate ball. But then you have, you know, 20 to 30% of the time where he throws a grounder. He did it again this week to Charlie Jones. It was basically the same thing that happened week one during the Indiana game where he had Tyrone Tracy on a comeback route and threw a grounder. That would have been, I don't even know if it was a grounder, or excuse me, a, a comeback route for Tracy that week. I, he was wide open. There was nobody behind him. That would have been a touchdown. This week, it looked like a comeback route to Jones, and again, he underthrows it. Um, so <laughs> when you have that, and then you couple that with the fact that you have wide receivers who have had a little bit of an issue dropping the football this year, um, and then you throw on top of that the fact that Petrus has struggled uh, with receiver selection. It's just not a good combination, and that's why this this offense is still struggling. Um, again, they took a big step forward today in the run game. 
You hope that carries over to next week and beyond, because if it does, that was my key heading into this game. Establish the run. I have to think that the passing game will come. I just, I, you know, and maybe that's the homer in me, but you you have to think that the passing game will, will come if you are running the football effectively. Adam Apple. I hope I'm saying that last. I might be Adam Appel. Sorry, Adam, but uh, he comments there was definite offensive improvement this week. Run game and pass game both way better against an inferior defensive opponent. D did great overall. The early lapses must be gone by Maryland. That is a very sound, down-to-earth way to look at this uh, win today because uh, I agree there was definite improvement. But when you say offensive improvement, I didn't see any improvement in the passing game. That's just me. I just didn't. Um, Petrus threw for more yards, but again, you have to weigh opponent here. As you have to do that, you have to do the same thing with the run game. You have to weigh the opponent when when analyzing these statistics. Um, but I did not see a big jump in the passing game today from Spencer Petrus. But I wasn't really looking for that. I was looking for an a, you know an improvement on the ground, especially with the return of of Kyler Shot. D did great overall. There were early lapses. That's absolutely correct. Again. There's a lot, you know, you don't know what's going through these kids' heads when when you're ranked number five, you're two and zero, oh, you're the team in the Big Ten everybody's talking about. Um, you you know, lead basically the entire country in, in points off turnovers. Obviously, that can go to your head, and quickly. I'm not saying that's what happened, but that very well could have been what happened. Maria says, "Beware of the Terrapins. Colorado State is up next, but this may be the best Maryland team that anyone has ever seen." Their QB is one of the best in America. You know, I'd have to ask Mark Mark Rogers that question. Is this one of the best Maryland teams ever? I really have no understanding or grasp of Maryland football history. I will say this. I watched that that Illinois-Maryland game last night, and um, I'm impressed by Tagovailoa. Remember, he's only like 5'10", 5'11", maybe, uh, but he throws a really nice ball. Um, I think he'd get, get in some trouble against Iowa given his uh, – tendency to try to force passes into tight tight spaces um but definitely some big playmaking ability i mean at wide receiver demas is a one of the best wide receivers in the big 10 i think right now um yeah you can't overlook colorado state but that maryland game is going to be a real test especially given the fact you've got penn state coming to town uh, the week after so again um final score today iowa 30 Kent State 7. We are taking your calls, your questions, and your chats. 860-499-3332. 860-499-3332. And very soon we will be joined by Don Patterson. Former coach Don Patterson will jump on here with us to talk about the Hawkeyes. Event Tide. I saw no improvement in the past game either. The offensive line was able to clear enough room for Goodson to get some yards, but that is about it. Um, you know, I, I really am. I'm trying to be positive with all of this. Um, I'm trying to find something else that was really impressive today. Um, Tori Taylor looks, you know, really good again. I don't, you know, I, I don't quite get the, the fake punt call. Um, I don't mind a fake punt, but when you, when you take a delay of game and we've seen, I would do this before. They did this in 2015 against Iowa State late in the first half. You can go look it up. They took a delay of game late in the first half with like, I don't even know, a few seconds left on the clock. 
They take a delay a game and then they run a fake. But the problem is they let the clock run down and they lost yardage on the penalty trying to sell the fake. Marshall Kane tries to run to the corner of the end zone, doesn't get it. And Iowa ends up with zero points. Now, today, it didn't really cost them. But you run a basically a four-yard out to Sam Laporta when you need nine yards because you took a delay a game and you have nobody down the field besides Laporta as a second option. I, I, I don't understand that at all. And I, you know, I see Sam Gonzalez comment. Um, Brian needs to wake up. I don't know if he's re- referring to that play or not. Yeah. I don't know if that's Brian. Is that Brian making that call? Is it LeVar Woods? Is it Kirk? I have no idea. I mean, I, I, I have no idea. That would be a good question for Kirk, I guess. Who was it that, that, uh, submitted that play call in, but, Brian is a very polarizing figure within this program right now. There's no question about it. There are moments where I am extremely impressed with Brian. And then there are moments when I'm extremely underwhelmed, extremely underwhelmed by Brian Ferentz. Um, You know, we've talked about play selection with Don. We've talked about, uh, you know, his, I don't want to say refusal to throw the football down the field, but, you know, is it is it Brian? Is it is it Spencer again missing guys and just checking down because he's nervous about making a mistake? I don't know what it is. You know, it's hard to get in the head of a quarterback. We have a one of the best quarterback coaches to ever coach at Iowa, and Don Patterson. He doesn't know. Um, again, maybe he'll give us some insight today that he, he hasn't in the past. But um, it, it is frustrating. I get the frustration. You know, we're 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 halfway through this two game stretch now to where you you hope that you can take a big jump. And I just didn't see it in the passing game today. But the run game improved. Let's let's look for that to continue next week. And hopefully the the pass game follows. Charles says good teams find a way to win and Hawkeyes are currently doing that. That's absolutely true. And if you look back at 2015, Iowa played a lot of close games in 2015. Not a real tough schedule, but they made it through and they ended up going 12 and 0. Now they came a play short of the college football playoff. Would they have gotten their pants pulled down in the playoff? That's likely. But, <laughs> well, we're taking one game at a time here, but you're absolutely right. I mean, we have to see if Iowa can win close games. We don't know if Iowa can win close games yet. I mean, these these first three games, none of them have been close. Um, and again, I, I, I don't know that we can read too much into the defensive struggles early in this game today, especially when you have a team like Kent State who was primed and ready. There was, Again, there was no hitch in their giddy-up. They were ready for this game. And I think Iowa, you know, it's just natural to get a bit complacent. And that very well may have been what happened today. Scrolling through the comments here. We saw Charles comment about Marcus Coker kind of making a, a comparison to Gavin Williams. Obviously, very early. Marcus Coker was had one of the more outstanding statistical seasons in Iowa running back history, um, whatever year that was. Um, and, of course, uh, injuries kind of derailed his career, unfortunately. Um, if you take a look at the running game stats, let's pull up Ty- uh, Tyler Goodson's numbers for today. Extremely impressive. 22 carries, 153 yards, and three touchdowns. I saw a graphic from the university um, that was put out late in the game that he is the first uh, player to score three touchdowns since, I believe, Akram Wadley in 2015. I believe that was the Northwestern Road uh, win. 
So, uh, uh, a very productive for today. Let's see if I can talk. A very productive day for Tyler Goodson on the ground. Um, and boy, you know, he doesn't have the, the highest top end speed. Um, he's not a bruiser, but he's extremely shifty. He's got good speed. Um, he's durable. And for the most part, he holds on to the football. We saw a fumble week one, but he has been very secure with the football. So he is, you know, I went through my most indispensable players preseason. He is probably higher on my list now because, and I don't remember where I had him. I probably had him three or four um, with Petrus being number one. I know that maybe fans wouldn't agree with that, but uh, he is the quarterback. It's just how it works. Um, but as far as Tyler is concerned, I view him as even more indispensable now, given the fact that you've got a backup who I don't know who your backup is now. I really don't. And that's to me, that's not overreacting. Ivory Kelly Martin was given multiple opportunities these first three games to figure out his fumbling issue, and he has not done that. Okay. In fact, during this game, let me pop up the stats for Ivory Kelly Martin. During this game, okay, I had made the the notation. Let me just make a correction here with his name. Let me make sure I get this accurate. There is a hyphen between Kelly and Martin. I know that. Uh, But in this game, after the first fumble from Kelly Martin, I had stated verbally, he's done. Kirk is not going to put him back in the game. Very next drive, Ivory Kelly Martin gets the football. And what does he do? He coughs it up again. Now, thankfully, I believe it was Laporta that jumped on it. That was, to me, I don't want to say the last straw for for Kirk. And I'm not saying Kelly Martin won't get the ball again this season. I'm not saying that. It's way too early to make uh, a pronouncement on a a senior running back like Ivory. But I don't know how how much longer do you allow that leash to become. I mean, it's you cannot put the, the ball on the ground. And he has accounted for what, three of Iowa's four turnovers this year? Is that right? Three of Iowa's four, and the other one was from Tyler Goodson? I believe that's correct. That is not good, okay? Um, So, you know, I don't know what the solution to that is. We had um, our caller earlier, Hawkeye Howard, I believe, was the one that brought it up. Uh, I did say it preseason that I was concerned with the fact that Iowa was not allowing it's running backs to take a lot of hits preseason. And we saw the same result game one last year when Makai Sargent fumbled, Tyler Goodson fumbled against Purdue. Both of those guys had a fumble game one. Now, Tyler Goodson cleaned it up after game one last year. He's cleaned it up so far this year, but there's an odd trend with that starting to develop. And I haven't looked at the data, the data over the years. And I don't know if that's been a Kirk Ferentz, um, philosophy or uh, slogan, if you will, mindset for his entire tenure, if that's something more recent. Obviously, coaching staffs that, you know, you want to limit your hits on your backs. I mean, that's just, obviously, that's common sense. And we remember the years of, you know, Jewel Hampton, Greg Garman. Um, I mean, you can go down the list of all the guys who got hurt in preseason. So I, I understand the fear there. And again, I don't think Ivory's issues come down to he wasn't taking hits in preseason because this is this is ridiculous. I mean, and I'm assuming he's taking hits in practice now. But even if he's not, he's getting plenty of reps during these games. I mean, he's carried the ball a lot. I don't have his numbers 
I suppose I can pull those numbers up from last week. But Ivory Kelly Martin is getting plenty of touches. Um, so I, I I just don't see I don't see Kirk Ferentz sticking with Ivory. We saw good things out of Gavin, and we saw Lashawn at the end of the, the end of the game. Both the Williams guys, uh, I want to call them brothers because they're not brothers, but uh, both the the Williams backs, they were both they both looked good when they were in. Um, Gavin is not as shifty as an Ivory Kelly Martin. Obviously, he doesn't have the experience as Ivory, but guess what? He came in there first play, I believe, where he got a touch was on a I believe it was his first play in. He got a pass from from Spencer, took a hit, held on to the football. You know, I mean, it, Tyler Goodson's going to be a workhorse this year, and that's why he's definitely one of the probably two most indispensable players on this team. Um, you know, maybe three. I, 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 Tyler Linderbaum and Petrus are definitely in there, but uh, with with Kelly Martin's issues right now, hold on to the football. Goodson is that much more important. So, of course, we'll talk to Don about Ivory and how you solve an issue that is starting to become a trend. Call us. Talk to us. 860-499-3332. 860-499-3332. And again, former Iowa coach Don Patterson will be joining us shortly. And uh, he'll be taking your calls. He'll be taking your questions. He'll be taking your comments following Iowa's 30-7 to victory at home against the Kent State Golden Flashes. Saw a couple uh, tweets this week that it was odd Iowa was having their annual gold out against the Golden Flashes. I probably would agree with that. Brian, or excuse me, Sam Gonzalez, Tory Taylor. Enough said. Man, this guy, um, I had a friend text me during the game and he said Iowa would not be 2-0 and if it wasn't for Tory Taylor. And I think he's probably right. I mean... Obviously, the defense deserves a ton of credit for those first two wins. But, you know, what he did to Iowa State last week with field position, and then, you know, you think about what he did early on in this game, you have to give him partial credit for the fumble because he's pinning teams back time and time and time again. And when you do that, um, you're, you're putting your defense in an excellent position. You're putting the other offense in a terrible position. And... Boy, you know, Tori's the he's the type of guy who can help you overcome a subpar offense because he's going to bail you out, get you out of bad field position. Um, he, and he's so consistent. The guy is so consistently, I mean, as far as accuracy, um, obviously his his kick, his uh kick distance, if you will, has been extremely impressive. I believe he had I believe he had like a 59 yarder. Uh, before there was no bounce. It was a, actually a 59 yard punt and he's punting the traditional way. And that was a question we had heading into the season. Would he be able to develop a non rugby style punt? He has done just that. Sam says that uh, Goodson should be at least my number two most indispensable player. I would probably agree with that. I don't know where to rank Spencer right now because I have not seen the improvement from Spencer that I wanted to see. Um, with that being said, we have seen nothing out of Alex Padilla or Deuce Hogan. So I'm going to continue to say that that uh, Spencer Petrus is probably the most indispensable player on this roster. Um, I think it's a valid debate. Who's more indispensable, Tyler Goodson or Tyler Linderbaum? Uh, that's, a val- that's a valid debate. Why don't we put that up here? Maybe we can get some comments on that. 
Again, you're welcome to call us. Um, 860-499-3332. All right. Who is more indispensable, Tyler Goodson or Tyler Linderbaum? I think that's a fair question right now because um, they're both extremely important to this team. But we saw today that Tyler Goodson is really, really important, more important than I thought he would be. Um, and he's he has made significant improvement over his first two seasons. There's just no question about it. Um, he just is a lot more confident back there. Um, I think his vision has really improved. I'm no running back expert. I'm not going to profess to be that. But um, he is a guy right now who's seeing the field really well. And he's making good decisions. He doesn't hesitate. He's not indecisive. Um, he is a, a guy who certainly um, is coming into his own with this offensive line, even though the offensive line has had to grow these first three games. Joseph Walters says, O-line health, I think, is more important. I think... Uh, Again, I would have agreed with you, Joseph, last week, but uh, watching some of the struggles from Ivory Kelly Martin today, I, I I, think it's a valid debate. I think it's a valid debate, but uh, you're welcome to have your, your opinion on this. And certainly um, next week will be another good barometer for Iowa. I mean, 30 to 7, I had somebody text me after the game and say, uh, I feel guilty that uh, I'm not, not happier about a 23-point victory. I get it. Because I I feel the same way. I felt the same way after week one, and they beat number seventeen in the country. And man, if you're an Iowa fan, you just wish Indiana had beaten Cincinnati today. They up fourteen zero in the first half. Turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. Michael Penix does not look like the same quarterback as last year. He just doesn't. He just does not. That would have been big for Iowa's resume had Indiana won, um, and they did not. So, uh, you know. We'll see what Iowa State does against UNLV tonight. But the point is, Iowa is 3-0. So that's uh, that's what we should be excited about. Um, I guess text over here to Don Patterson. Make sure he's aware that we are live already. And I thought the Kent State quarterback, I thought Crum played well. I mean, I thought he was... Very composed. I mean, think about it. No interceptions for Crum. And each of the um, quarterbacks these first two weeks, Purdy, Penix, they both threw multiple interceptions to Iowa's defensive backs. So I thought Crum played really well under composure the entire game. Um, you know, and and obviously they they kind of have a, a niche. This up-tempo stuff that they run is, is I think they're going to win a lot of games in the MAC. Do I know how, I don't know how good Ball State and Northern Illinois and Buffalo, the rest of these MAC teams are, but um, there's no question that uh, um, Kent State's going to be there and, and they were, they're expected to be there. I mean, this was a, this is a game. This was not, you know, playing VMI. I mean, this was a good MAC team that I would beat today. So I think there's something to be said for that. Adam Appel, we covered the spread. We did what the experts expected. That is true. That is absolutely true. Iowa did cover the spread today. Um, so, uh, and we're going to welcome someone who's going to make me feel a little bit better, I think, about uh, Iowa's 30-7 to victory. We welcome Iowa coach Don Patterson. Don, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Thanks, Corey. 
So, Don, you you got home pretty quick today. Um, I saw some fans clearing out early, which I never like seeing. I know you don't either. Um, but that meant that Iowa was uh, running away with it. They, you know, Iowa pulls away thirty to seven over Kent State. What was your initial reaction to uh, what we saw today? Well, the game really um, unfolded a lot like I thought it would. I expected them to give us their very best shot, and I think they did that. And as you know, the game was in doubt for a long time. In that regard, it reminded me of the A&M game. That A&M game, for those that didn't see it, it was 10-3, to and Kent State had the ball on the plus 22-yard line right before the half with a chance to tie. That's when they threw their first interception. And then fast forward to the middle of the third quarter, it's 13-3. to The game is still very much in doubt. They're again on that same plus 22-yard line, and that's when they throw their second interception. And that one was returned 85 yards. So that was the play of the game. Of course, the chance for them to make points in the process, uh, A&M made seven on the other end of the field. So uh, it was really the difference in the game. That, that was what separated the two. And from that point forward, it was pretty much in the books. We've got uh, a lot of questions to throw your way, Don. But first of all, offensive improvement, of course, that's what everybody wanted to see today. And I know that's a general um, statement, offensive improvement. I thought we saw a lot of improvement in the run game. Again, how much of that is opponent as a result of the opponent today? I didn't see any improvement from the passing game. I'll just be blunt. Tell me I'm wrong, Don. I'm not able to tell you that you're wrong because I didn't. There were some good things that, that I saw. Uh, obviously, we made an effort to get the ball to number three. So for the first time in three games, Tyrone Tracy was very involved with the pass offense. You could argue that he was just okay productive based on the number of targets that he had. Um, we didn't ask Spencer to do a whole lot again. You know, we, we ran the ball. We did a pretty good job of staying ahead of the chains. Did a pretty good job protecting the ball, of course. I'm looking here now. Did we um, – yeah, we officially had one, and they officially had one. Huh? We were even on turnovers. Um, so, um, I think you're right. You know, we, we played like we've played in the past on defense and we ran the ball better. We expected to based on who the opposition was. The only thing that worries me a little bit, we ran for 212 yards, uh, but belly pitch is what we used to call it. Um, think of 43 belly pitch, a counter look on that third and one. That was a great call by, by Brian. And, of course, we caught them with their pass down, and it was a, a run to the end zone. And that play, I think, was probably worth, what, 40 yards or more. So we we had a big gainer there. And then one time late in the game, um, Goodson got loose again for another long gainer. So we didn't really consistently gain five and six yards like you'd hope. I think we did better up front than we had done in the previous two games. But there's still room for improvement. And, you wouldn't expect uh, us to be able to make monumental gains from one w weekend to the next. doesn't happen that quickly. And let's give Kent State some credit, too. They were excited about playing the game. Uh, they might have been undersized uh, in places, but they certainly play hard. They're pretty athletic. Uh, you know, they can cause you some problems. They can give you some negative plays. Uh, one obvious difference in the game all over again was the kicking game. You know, every time we traded punts, I haven't run the numbers, but – Every time we traded punts, of course, or kickoffs, for that matter. We didn't trade kickoffs, but you get my drift. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was a field position game for us. They were so worried about Charlie Jones 
They punted the ball away from him virtually the entire game. They kicked the ball away from him too, of course. And uh, the only problem with that, you know, when you're punting the ball down the field, you're getting the max distance on your punt, obviously, because you're going directly down the field. When you start punting it laterally, that really starts cutting into your into your yardage that you gain with the punt itself. Maybe you eliminate a big return, but you certainly give up some yards by punting the ball more across the field than down the field. Okay. Uh, this is, uh, I don't want to say the big elephant in the room, um, but again, maybe I'm pushing the panic button too fast here, Don, but I, do you see Ivory Kelly Martin getting the football anytime soon? Well, it's safe to say if he's not in the doghouse at this moment, he's right next to the doghouse. I suspect he's in it. You know, the first thing a running back learns, of course, is possession of the ball is sacred. You know, you, you simply, you wake up at night with nightmares about coughing the ball up one time. And um, obviously we had our patients tested today. Luckily we got one of them back, as I recall, uh, thanks to number 84, heads up play on the part of Sam. But um, it's safe to say that ball security is an issue. And, and whether it's true or not, it plants the seed in the in the head of those defensive players. If he's carrying the ball, we can get it out for sure. And, right. and as a result of that, you get a, a stronger effort to get the ball out because they think there's a better chance to do so. And uh, so two fumbles today for Ivory. And after the first fumble, I had tweeted out, I said, it's clear Ivory Kelly Martin has a fumbling issue. I, I didn't think there was any doubt because you have a fumble week one. And let's remember, Don, there was a fumble – last week for ivory that was overturned because his he, he was his back was touching the ground before the ball came out so if you i know right. he didn't technically fumble that time but that's four times he's caught the ball up in like two and a half games um yeah. so i how does how does kirk or how does he earn his way out of the doghouse it, it, assuming he's in there now because obviously we saw a lot of gavin williams as the game went on how does he earn his way out well, one thing he has to do is demonstrate every day in practice that he's absolutely positively serious about about ball security. And there's an expression that most backfield coaches use, and it simply describes how you secure the ball. The description is high and tight. Uh, a lot of people assume you just put the ball in your belly, and that's not where you put it. You carry it higher up on your chest and tight to your chest. And, of course, you've got points of contact from your hands down to your to your elbow and the ball is squeezed tightly against your, against your breastplate. And of course uh, it's kind of hard for any back that's good on ball security to imagine that there's any kind of hit that can make the ball come out. We all know the reality is that maybe a, a perfect hit on the part of a defender might get the ball out versus any back. Nobody's never fumbled. They've all right. fumbled at one, one time or another, but certainly some fumble more often than others. And to be labeled as a fumbler is a, uh, a real problem because that means they're going to actually think they can get it out, which means they're going to try even harder than they otherwise would. Okay. So what we saw from Tyler Goodson, you talked about the, um, the pitch play that went for 46 yards. Um, of course he had the other, the other long touchdown run. Um, his ability to make guys miss has been, I, I, in my opinion, just huge because I don't, I still don't feel like the offensive line is is consistently getting a good enough push and opening up holes. Are you seeing the same thing, Don? Well, today it's kind of hard to tell, you know, when you're just sitting 
up in the seats. But but um, I have to admit, I didn't have the advantage of looking from the end zone all day long. It looked like there were um, not a lot not a lot of large running lanes. It wasn't always only obvious as to where to run the ball. You had to kind of pick and choose your way. And of course, Tyler does a good job of that. He's got good vision. He He's a pretty patient runner. You know, he looks for a sliver of daylight, and then he'll attack it. In the meantime, he protects the ball well. And let's not forget is he catches the ball very well, too. So that's another plus for Tyler. He he certainly catches the ball just fine. You're not afraid to throw him the ball from a, a check down standpoint because he'll catch it, and he'll know what to do with it after he does. We did see you. You talked about Tyrone, Don. Uh, so Tyrone ends up with five catches for forty-three yards. Nico Regani had four catches for fifty-four yards. Obviously, the longer throw there late. Um, Gavin Williams actually ended up having three catches as well. Uh, Jackson Ritter had a catch. Arlen Pr- Bruce got his first career catch. No catches for Charlie Jones today, which was a big surprise to me. But again, uh, Spencer missed him on the, uh, I believe it was a comeback route. I, I couldn't see it from my vantage point on the television, but it looked looked like a grounded pass on a comeback route. Yeah, threw in the dirt. Yep. So. Um, Very true. Um, 84 had his usual productive day. You expect that out of him. Obviously, it appears to me if I was going to defend Iowa, Spencer certainly would prefer to throw 84 the ball. He has great confidence in, in Sam, and, and Sam's earned that confidence. Uh, but of course, you need more than one one go to receiver, and hopefully, um, Spencer feels strongly about someone maybe that we're not quite so aware of. It's obvious that he feels strong about Sam. I just don't know for sure who else he might feel that strong about right now. Probably before you came on, Don, I had made the comment, and again, maybe I'm jumping to conclusions here. But I made the comment that it's clear to me that the only guy that Spencer is ultimately comfortable with is Sam Laporta because he seems to be the guy that's uh, obviously generating the most targets, but especially when Spencer's in trouble, he seems to be the only uh, last resort option or, or it's a back, you know, it's a, it's a check down to the back. Um, right. So, you know, I, I, I don't, th- my predictions heading into this game, Don, I wanted Iowa to be able to figure out how to run the ball better. I felt like they did that again. I understand where you're coming from with the big runs kind of influencing the final numbers. But right. that has to pay dividends for the passing game moving forward. My big question, and I have this noted, Don, as a question to you. It didn't feel to me, and I'd have to look back at the tape, but it didn't feel to me like Brian Ferentz really took advantage of the success on the ground with play action. Did you feel that? Like that you felt like there should have been a little bit more play action in this game? Yes. One word answer, yes. Obviously, if you're running the ball well, as a play caller, you should be thinking more about utilizing play action than in those games when you're struggling to run the ball. You may fool them early in a game if you're not running the ball well, but after a while, if you're not running the ball very well, they're going to pay less attention to play action. Right. Well, this is going to be an interesting stretch here because we I know you and I both watched Maryland last night. I'm sure many of the Iowa fans who are listening to our postgame show right now watched Maryland last night, and they're a team who can sling it around. Were you at all concerned early today with the – deep balls given up by Iowa secondary, specifically Riley Moss. Yes. I was going to comment. One thing we learned today, in the opinion of Kent State, the corner to go after without question is number 33. And they did it with good success. I don't know how many 
how many balls were thrown in his direction, but obviously they produced a, a lot of yardage. So the one thing I've always said, it doesn't bother me at all if a team has an All-American corner as long as the other corner is not so good. And, of course, at that point you attack that weaker corner. So I think I think Riley should get ready. There are going to be many more balls coming his way right now than Hankins. Uh, maybe over time when he proves himself to be able to hold up versus those throws, the throws will even out more. But right now he's going to get the t- the targeted passes more so than Hankins. And Kashan Abram, I believe I'm pronouncing his name correctly, wide receiver for Kent State, end up with 138 yards on six catches. So, um, yeah, you're absolutely right, Don. They saw something on tape, and you talked about it week one, and I'm not saying that's what happened today, but it looked like um, the first, I believe it was the first bomb to Abram, which uh, he had beaten Riley Moss, was sort of on a similar uh, pattern to what we saw week one when Penix threw the pick six to Riley. Looked like Riley, and I could be, maybe I'm confusing plays, but it looked like Riley was either either sold out for a run or tried to jump the route, and it was a pump fake and then the deep ball over the top. Maybe I'm getting two plays confused there, but I remember you bringing up that week one, Don, that he was going to get burned at some point if he continued to play that aggressive. Yeah, I don't recall either one of the deep balls as being a double cut. Okay. Um, pretty sure. Now, it might have been some play action involved. I don't doubt that for a second. And maybe there was a stutter and go type of route. You know, maybe it, you're you're trying to set up a deep route off of a comeback. So you're, you're driving down the field, and now you stutter your feet a little bit to give him a, a thought that you're running a comeback. And now, of course, you burst deep down the field. Maybe it was a stutter and go. Maybe it was strictly a go route. To be honest with you, I'm sure it wasn't just a plain old-fashioned go route. But the bottom line is both times that he was easily on top of, of Riley, and frankly, a better throw would have been touchdown probably in one or both cases. Uh, Event Tide says Ivory Kelly Martin does indeed have a fumbling problem. It isn't like he does not get good positive yards. It just doesn't do much good when he fumbles. I hope they can curb the problem. Absolutely. I think he's running well, Don. It seems like he's running running well, and it seems like these fumbles are coming actually off of, after good runs. Yeah, I think you're right. He certainly ran well last week, and I even commented that I thought he was a, a really good solution um, to Goodson last week against Iowa State. He had eight for 28 yards last week, and he's certainly a, a capable runner. Uh, and maybe if we just simply, simply give it a chance to go away over the next couple of weeks – Maybe that reputation that he's starting the game as a fumbler, maybe that'll go away too. And at that point, maybe those teams won't be quite so confident in their thought process that they're going to get the ball out versus Kelly Martin. We've got a phone call here for you, Don. Thank you for calling Iowa Post Game at the Voice of College Football. Who's on the line? Adam Hanson. Hi, Adam. So uh, the the question is, is um, how do you guys feel about the offense today? Do you think that it was actually better than the first two weeks, even knowing that they had, like, kind of really good uh, DBs and everything? I I can give you my opinion first, and then maybe Don wants to follow up. Um, You know, I I, kind of stated earlier in the show, the run game looked better. There was more consistency up front. Again, how much do you weigh opponents? Because I think Iowa State's defensive line was solid. Indiana's DBs were, were solid. I don't know about their defensive line, but um, I'm weighing opponent a lot in this. I did not see any improvement from a passing standpoint. Um, 
again, it's hard for me, as, and I'm sure it's hard for you if you weren't at the game, to see what's going on down the field. But what I'm seeing are a lot of checkdowns. So either A, receivers are not getting separation, or B, Spencer is missing them. Don, you want to add to that? Well, a lot of the throws that were made today, to be honest, I would have a chance to hit on those throws too. You know, because like you say, they were checkdowns. They were balls that were thrown, physically thrown, no more than 15 yards probably from when they left the hand of the quarterback. Uh, the thing you hope to see, you, you would hope today that there were some some necessary conversions on critical downs when the game was still tight and that Spencer would come through in great fashion on those. And you really didn't see a lot of that. It wasn't all his fault necessarily. Maybe the play simply was designed to do something else. Uh, I don't recall what we did overall on critical downs. I think we did better than we yeah. have been. That was the priority going in. I can talk about the analytics a little bit as we get going here. But but um, the bottom line, there weren't a lot of really challenging throws that, that Spencer had to make. They were high percentage throws, and the numbers looked pretty good. Um, but you can't say too many of them were the kind of throws that the average quarterback might not make, might not be able to make. They were all throws that the average quarterback should certainly be able to have a good chance to convert on too. Anything else, caller? Um, do you think that they're ready to face Penn State? Ready to face who? Penn State. Um, I'm just hoping they're ready to face Colorado State. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And you know what? We're going to get a good feeler feeler for Penn State tonight. Um, we're not going to run this post game show a long, long time tonight because I think Don and I, and probably most Hawkeye fans, want to watch Auburn Penn State tonight. But uh, I agree with you, Don, and I'm glad they get Maryland before Penn State because if I had to pick a team right now that would be my favorite in the East, it might be Penn State because Ohio State. I didn't catch. Did Ohio State pull the game out? Did anybody know? I they did. They did. Okay. Tulsa's a little bit like Penn State. You know they. They play you tough, especially if you take them lightly. For whatever reason, Tulsa played them pretty tough. I know they ran for a lot of yards. They had a, Ohio State had a back that went for like 250, I think. So it was one of those games. Tulsa kind of hung in there. And, and uh, in the end, I think it was 41 to 20 or something, I believe. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. They pulled away toward the, toward the fourth quarter, I believe. Here's one you might not be aware of. Do you have a score on Colorado State and Toledo? Because I do. What do you got, Don? Are you in suspense? Well, Toledo almost knocked off Notre Dame. So uh, yes, they did. I believe just what one week ago, maybe. Yes, last week. Well, I uh, I haven't. I'm, I've taped the game. I'm going to look at it later. But I happened to turn it on when I first got home, and to my surprise, uh, at the end of the game, it was 19 to six in favor of Colorado State. You realize they were playing at Toledo. That's one reason I thought it'd be a Toledo win. Secondly. Wow. If the same Toledo showed up for Colorado State that played against Notre Dame, you would certainly expect another win. Did not happen. 22-6 Colorado State. Um, and we can talk a little bit later about them. But as I looked at them, I've looked at all their games. I haven't obviously broken down uh, today's game, but I've looked at the other six games. That's four from a year ago and two from this year. And um, they start their season, of course, by losing to a very good South Dakota State team. But they're playing at home. They're playing at FCS school. You know, you'd like to think you can find a way to win that. Yeah. And it didn't happen. 
And then Vanderbilt beat beat some also out in uh, Fort Collins, I believe. And let's remember that uh, Penn State has not been, you know, I I think we had somebody last week talk about Penn State, and I know Jared made a comment that, uh, that he thinks they'll be the biggest offensive test of the year. We haven't really seen anything from Penn State. I mean, that game against Wisconsin week one was ugly. There's not a lot of not a lot of offense in that game, and then week two, I I don't even know who Penn State played. Nobody of any consequence, I don't think. Right. So, you know that that yes, caller that game is not long in the future. But as Don pointed out, Colorado State and certainly Maryland is tricky first. Very much so. That game last night, you, you'll find this interesting. Uh, you've heard me say, and looking at last season in the Big Ten, if you won on turnovers you were virtually guaranteed to win the game, right? Yeah. Well, guess who won on turnovers last night? Illinois did. They were only plus one, but they still managed to find a way to lose the game, and they're the same team that lost twice on turnovers a year ago. So <clears throat> Illinois is just struggling to win, obviously. And, and um, Maryland actually had two more explosive plays than Illinois. They both had explosive plays. As I recall, Maryland had eight explosive plays, 20 yards or more. That's pretty typical for them. Illinois ended up with six. The yardage, as I recall, both of them totaled about 200 yards. So Maryland's a very dangerous team. Uh, We have to play them on a short week. We have to be the team on the road in a short week. And we talked about that earlier, Corey, uh, off the air. And that's a discussion I guess maybe we could have too. But the bottom line is that Colorado State all of a sudden has our attention. I'll promise you, Kirk is not going to enjoy this Saturday night as much as he hoped because he's already been made aware, I'm sure, that Colorado State went to Toledo and won, and people didn't expect that. I want to thank the caller there for for the question. Um, again, if you want to ask us, ask Don or myself a question, call us 860-499-3332, 860-499-3332. And Don, uh, while we have a minute, I want to run through a couple other questions for you, and I love to make notes during the game that I want to ask you about later. So my first sure. question is, early on in this game, and in fact, I think it was every kickoff that Kent State had, they were kicking away from Charlie Jones. And right. I'm just curious about coaching philosophy for you. Uh, is it always, is it basically a standard for whoever it is, whether it's a fullback or a tight end who ends up catching that to fair catch the ball? Because I thought Sam could have could have advanced the ball a couple of times. Thank you very much. You are correct. Okay. Um, a ball that is fair caught if you're standing on the 25-yard line is a ball with a lot of hang time. Typically, it's hit into the – of course, we didn't have any wind today. So the, the balls that were coming down today on the 25-yard line didn't have much hang time. I think it's safe to say, let's realize – Laporta's above average as a runner. It's not hard to imagine at all. They would, he would at least advance some 10 yards. Correct. Uh, the guys up front are coached, I'm sure, to go ahead and get their – to recognize it's a short kick, get their blocks immediately. Um, and it would be hard for me to believe that Sam wouldn't have returned each of those kicks to him for, on average, at least 10 yards. So that's a little bit of lost field position on our part today. I'm glad you said that, Don, because I thought, well, maybe I'm nitpicking. But when I saw that, I thought, well, he's a more than capable of carrying the football. In fact, he's one of, as far as uh, he reminds me a bit of TJ Hawkinson with, as far as a guy who's actually very, very capable. I'd be comfortable with him taking a handoff <laughs> once in a while on a, you know, a fullback, you know, or we call it a tight end uh, plunge or something. But 
Uh, I was Ooh. a little bit confused as to why they were having him fair catch. Was that probably a de- coaching decision, or is that just hit? You think that's just him making that decision midair? You know, I, I would think if it wasn't addressed before they broke the huddle, uh, he would simply default to the fair catch. In other words, I would think that he would need to be told off the bench. Listen, we've already seen one of those kicks. The ball does not have much hang time. Sam, you're a good runner. Let's let's discourage him from doing this to us. Let's go ahead and catch the ball and advance it. And let's make him pay for blooping the ball to the 30 to the 25-yard line, 30-yard line. Let's start off on the 40. They'll think twice about kicking it over here to you again. And all you guys up front, understand that we're going to advance the ball, so it's critical that you get your blocks. All right. I have written down here, and again, maybe I'm using um... – I may I'm using over the top language here, but I have written down disgraceful officiating. <laughs> I know the crowd felt that, Don. What were your thoughts on the overturned uh, catch that was not by Tyrone Tracy? Yeah, I, it was confusing to anybody in the stadium. I think it was even confusing to Coach Ferentz. You know, he's trying to figure out what's going on too. If you had, there was a, I could see Kirk's expression on his face even was. Uh, it was one of those you got to be kidding me expressions. Uh, of course, he didn't he didn't uh, yell and scream and berate the officials, but you could tell he was let's say disappointed with the way the whole thing was handled. I'm sitting here looking too penalties as as you I'm sure expect to hear. We were flagged eight times for 73 yards. Uh, it's bad to say, but you know we were penalized more more so than our opponent today. So that's unfortunate that we got flagged that many times. That's an area where we've generally been winning. And so that, that rule that uh, basically, again, I, I don't know how you overturn the call. I don't know how much you saw on the replay of that Tracy catch Don, but of course it was showed on the television set several times on big 10 network. I don't know how you overturn a catch on the field I mean, to me, and again, maybe I'm looking at this incorrectly, but to me, Tracy never actually lost full control of the ball until he rolled over, and the ball never actually was out of control on the ground. It looked like the ball moved, but it was after he had rolled on his back, and then he recovered the football again. Yeah, I think they refer to it as a – maybe this is NFL. I'm not sure if it's college or pro, but they refer to it sometimes as making a move with possession of the ball. Yeah. It looked to me like – Tracy possessed the ball. He made a move with that ball possessed. And then as he was going to the ground, uh, you might wonder if he, if for a split second he lost control and the tip of the ball hit the ground. Well, the way I saw it, it had clearly already been caught. And um, it was odd to me that it would be anything other than a question of, well, if it if it came out, it certainly wasn't incomplete. It was, it was a, maybe a fumble, but it was a fumble that he never lost. It was a ball he he bobbled for a split second after he possessed it, um, and then he possessed it all over again. That's how I saw it. I will admit, though, and I'm not I'm curious. They never showed the replay in the stadium. Our goal line stand. It looked like to me. Now I wasn't down the goal line, but my perception is he really did break the plane of the goal line. I don't know what the replay showed because they never showed the replay um, on the big board today. I don't think he did, Don. He was short. I believe Good. he was short, and he was definitely not down by contact. Gotcha. Well, the thing I appreciate, and I don't even know who the heroes were on that play because they never showed the replay, 
But what what is so exciting for me, it reinforces with the defense that football really is a game of inches, and it doesn't matter if they're on the one inch yard line, they still have to gain that one, find a way to gain that last inch. And if we're doing our jobs well, they may not be able to do it, and that's what we saw in that play. And uh, that was actually so. Justin Jacobs, uh, the uh, the play by play guy, was talking about that on Big Big Ten Network. Justin Jacobs was actually credited with the fumble, but it was actually caused by Jack Campbell. But it was just a it, to me, it was a bonehead decision to try to reach the ball over his head backwards towards the goal line. And I don't believe it was was it maybe it was down. down. I think it was either first or second down. It was just a bonehead decision on the part of the ball carrier. Yeah, you're right. They had at least one more down, maybe two. I had another note here written down about the officiating. So the the Tracy catch that was overturned, a couple plays later, there was – so, again, with the mindset that you have to obviously make a a football move after controlling the ball, there was a play just a couple plays later, and it might have been Naheem uh, Johnson or Naheem Johnson for Kent State, but – he had caught the ball, and as he got pushed out of bounds, the ball kind of popped up, and he re he he was able to regain control, and it was never looked at. And I called it right away. I said that that's the pot calling the kettle black. Why why are we not looking at that play? And they never they never looked at it. Of course that that issue. And you talk you mentioned the NFL. We mentioned this earlier in the show. The Calvin Johnson rule, as a lot of people know or know that rule to be at least from the NFL level and I don't know again the details the differences between a college catch in that regard versus an NFL catch mm-hmm. so yeah I'm not sure either but um, it's safe to say that that uh, we had a, a great effort on the goal line and, and let's back up and recognize this too Corey if I'm not mistaken at that moment it was um, 16 to 7 I believe and uh, I remember thinking well it's going to be a chip shot field goal at the worst Right. At that point, it's a one-score game. It's a one-score game whether they go for three or six. So uh, it's going to get interesting here. I think that was what late third quarter, I guess. Was that even fourth quarter? Uh, that was that was not fourth quarter. That was late third, yeah, because they were going driving to the north. Yeah. Uh, um, here's a key stat that comes to mind that definitely made a difference in the game: uh, sacks. One team had seven sacks, the other team none. And um, the beauty of that, you might say, well, seven sacks for minus 39, what's the big deal? A lot of, in, in general, it would be really interesting, Corey, to look at an entire football season and ask this question after a sack, did that team or did they not make a first down? Because I guarantee you, if there's a sack involved in any particular possession, the odds of them gaining a new set of downs have gone down considerably. Now, obviously, it might depend on how much sack yardage there was on that particular play. But in general, a sack is a drive killer, in general. Sometimes teams overcome it, of course, but so often they do not. And, Don, one thing that, uh, as far as the sack issues are concerned, or at least the issues that were last week, that gave me a better feeling about this line as well. Again, the, 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 the run game seemed to be working better, but – Petrus was protected and made better decisions not taking sacks. We talked about how much of an issue that was during the Iowa State game. Sacks yep. at bad times, that was improved this week, it seemed. Yes, it was. And there were there was a time or two where a week ago he might have tried to escape out of the back of the pocket, and he clearly was more likely this week 
to step up in the pocket. I think he understood, you know, if I feel a little heat off the edge, I need to step up within the pocket. I might need to slide left or right. That's true. But the bottom line is I can't assume that I can just break contain because I'm not quite that athletic to be able to do so. Okay, Don. This might uh, – I, I think I know what response you're going to give me, but we'll see. So Iowa has fourth and four. They try to draw uh, – can't say it offsides. Stop me if you even know where I'm going. And, Go uh, of course, they end up faking the punt. Tory Taylor throws it. It was a good throw to Sam Laporta, but it was a four-yard, three-yard uh, out we needed, route. We needed nine yards, for Christ's sake. With no was, new option down the field. I was campaigning for a 55-yard field goal attempt. I think it's entirely possible that Shudak would make it. I, I, I agree. Yeah, that was would have been fifty five before the penalty or after. Uh, fifty five before the penalty, as I recall. Okay, so after the penalty, we were out of field goal range. Why take the penalty? Why not just call a timeout? Is it really going to give away the fake if you take if you don't take the penalty? I don't think that gives away the fake, does it? I don't have any issue with trying to draw him offside. Of course, yeah. you got to be you got to be a little on the stupid side to get caught nowadays because. It should be drilled in your head. They need less than five. You have to be sure that you're not learning to jump it offside. Uh, but the right play at that point in time, and we simply had an expression for it, to try to draw them offside, the huddle call used to be feet and cement. Feet and cement. That kind of describes what you need to do as an offensive player. Feet and cement. There were two kinds of calls. Feet and cement or feet and cement timeout. Feet and cement timeout meant we're going to try to draw them offside. Quarterback, you be sure, or for that matter, of course, the coach can call a timeout on the sideline. Uh, let's be sure that we don't end up having to take the delay because we want to go ahead and kick from from the same yard line. We want to kick from uh, the whatever it was, what would it have been. If the ball spotted 45 yards from the goal line, then it would have been on the plus 38, right, or plus 37 because typically we spotted about eight yards deep. Plus 37, we back up eight yards. Now we're on the 45. 10-yard end zone makes 55. It was going to be a 55-yarder if we would have taken the timeout. Right. So, And then after the uh, five-yard penalty, then we decided to run the fake punt. I don't know. I'm not sure that's a question that Kirk will be asked. And I, I did find myself wondering, was that all um, at our, our specialty team's coach's urging, or was that, was that a call by the head coach, or did that come from the – from the ST coach. I don't know. I, It'd be interesting to know. I said that earlier before you jumped on, Don. I said, I don't know who made that call. Was it LeVar Woods? Was it Brian Ferentz? Was it Kirk Ferentz? Here's what it reminded me of, Don, and maybe you'll remember this. 2015, Iowa, Iowa State in Ames, end of the first half, and Iowa runs the football, and I don't know where they were, maybe in the 20, 25-yard range, um, yard line range, I should say, and Iowa let the clock run all the way down to about three seconds. They send on Marshall Kane to kick a field goal. He fakes the field goal and gets down to the five. But the problem was they let the clock run all the way down. And that was the end of the half. They came away with zero. Yeah. And I think the logic was, well, we want to make Iowa State believe that we're kicking a field goal. So that's why we're going to let the clock run down. But the problem is, you, <laughs> well, you know close. what the problem is, so... <laughs> Yeah, actually, there's a lot of it's it's a good strategy if you think about it. Let's just talk about fake field goals in general. Uh, would you rather 
call a fake field goal and have the team run on the field. And now the clock says 20 seconds still. And it's, there's still a lot of time left. In other words, the offense is not in a particular hurry. There's a lot of time to maybe holler out if you're a defensive player, watch the fake. Maybe it occurs to you, you know what? That would be a decent call on their part is to, is to run a fake. The better way to run the fake, as you mentioned, is to hold your, your kicking unit for a little bit, rush them out on the field, and then run the fake because they don't have time to remind everybody it might be a fake. Um, now, the key, of course, is you got to be able to snap it before the clock goes to zero. Right. And obviously we didn't get that done. But, but it, that's a good way to do it is to not give them a lot of time to communicate about what might be happening other than a field goal. Don, it was a pretty good throw from an Australian punter. It was, but I, I, I was hoping for a 55-yard attempt because I think yeah. Shudak might very well have knocked it through. And and I would have been okay with another pooch punt. That would have been fine too. But I wasn't interested in going for it with the fake on fourth and nine. I'll say that. Because there was no deception really in the play. Not really. Don, we have a phone call for you. Thank you for calling Iowa post game with the Voice of College Football. Who do we have on the line? Kill. Hey, Joe, can you just turn your computer down just a little bit? Okay. Hey, Joe, can you just turn your computer down? There you go. Appreciate that, Joe. Yep, you're good. Okay. My, my thing was when you was talking about Iowa How's that? I can't I don't think I can hear it now. Okay. Yep. My uh opinion or question was when Iowa did kick that field goal like at Iowa State that you were talking about. Yep. I think that was the fourth down, so they either made it or they didn't. Right, but the 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 thing was, had they had time on the clock, they would have gotten the first down because they were out towards towards like the 20, 25-yard line. So if they had given themselves more time, they could have faked the field goal, then gotten a new set of downs. Does that make sense? Yeah. The way I understood it, though, at the time was that they had to make their the, – well, I guess, yeah, because the clock was running out, so they'd had to make it, or otherwise they wouldn't have. Okay, thanks. Have a good one. All right, appreciate the call, Joe. No, that's good. And I think if I don't rec- if I recall um, from that play in 2015, Iowa was also running the football leading up to that fake. And so that was also kind of odd. If you're going for a touchdown, why are you running the ball with under a minute to go? Um, late in the first half, but anyways, I, I didn't mean to bring that game back up, but uh, a good, good, good mind from the caller there to remember that game six years ago. Um, I do have a couple questions here in the chat for you, Don. One is from Michael Meter. Do you guys think they actually progress towards better competition? What wh- I, I, let's take a positive approach to this, Don. What did you see today that does make you feel better about the schedule ahead? I still see a defense that's going to keep us in every game. Uh, that's not going to give up a lot of big plays. That um, is going to be stingy in the red zone. And in that regard, if if the offense um, contributes with good solid ball control and and um, 
even if we're a little inconsistent, if we can put together a few scoring drives, our kicking game's good. If we fail in the red zone or even in plus territory, we can kick a long-range field goal. And I think, uh, and obviously the defense, you can't expect them to always score all this, although they officially scored two more points today. But in general, of course, if they can just provide the offense with good field position, then we should be able to take advantage of it and at the very least put up three points, if not six. So, yeah, I think we made slight progress in that regard. Uh, a coach would have the mindset, even if we've made slight progress, we need to make it faster. You know, we shouldn't be satisfied with how we played. Uh, the only great players I've ever been around, they all had one thing in common, and that was that they were never satisfied with how they played. They were always trying to find a way to play a perfect game. It's impossible to do, but it's it's certainly aspirational on their part to think that they might someday get that done. Uh, Don, as far as the safety is concerned, one observation from that, and we can move on, but uh, to me it was not good a good effort from the Kent State quarterback or his teammate, I believe it was the running back on that play. I didn't think very good effort to get the ball out of the end zone. Of course, you got to get the ball all the way out of the end zone for it to be for it to uh, not be a safety. But the running back, I thought, could have come up behind him and at least tried to push his his uh, quarterback out of the back of the end zone. Did you see that? Well, the only thing that's uh, difficult to ascertain, the ball was clearly in the end zone when the quarterback possessed it. But he was barely in the end zone, maybe, what, one yard? Maybe one yard in the end zone? Honestly, at that point, here's what's a hard question to answer. Are you better off giving up the safety than you are putting this back on the one-yard line and playing from there? Because there's still a chance of a, a safety the next play, or worse yet, maybe you turn it over and you give them great field position too. At least the two-point play uh, gave them a chance for a free kick. That's the one time, at least maybe the only time, they kicked uh, deep to Charlie, and he made a decent return on it like you'd expect him to do. But, um, uh, you know, th those are the kind of things we, we shouldn't take for granted. You know, our center, that ball is always within a couple of three inches of where it's supposed to be, it seems to me, on snaps. He's a very consistent deep snapper. And their guy, maybe he didn't have many that were off target, but that was one that was way off target, obviously because the quarterback couldn't control it. Don, a uh, comment here from Sawyer. Good win for the Hawks. Moss has some video to watch. Goodson, keep recognizing the field for holes. Kelly Martin to RB4. Um, I, I think we addressed that earlier. I don't think he's going to be... Our, I think my guess is on the depth chart next week, it's going to say, and I know depth charts don't mean much at Iowa, but it's going to say Tyler Goodson, Ivory Kelly Martin. I, I, don't, I don't see... Kirk Ferentz eliminating him from the two deep. Would you agree with that? Probably. I don't know that for a fact, but we don't know for sure that one of the young backs, they're both named Williams, right? Um, yes, they Gavin, are. Gavin came, in, Gavin came in next, I believe. Um, you know, can you honestly say that the way the day played out, that Gavin should be in the game ahead of Kelly Martin? You could make that argument because – as you've always heard me say, one turnover can be the difference in the game. And um, this one turnover stuff on the part of Kelly Martin is getting a little bit old. I'm sure the coaches feel that way too. I'm sure Kelly Martin feels that way. He's as disappointed as anyone. So I don't know who to take the first snap off the bench next week. It will be interesting to see. Maybe Vegas is going to 
have a betting line on that. Is it going to be Kelly Martin for the next snap, or is it going to be one of the new guys? Absolutely. Um, Ramsey Nelson, can't tell much from regular camber angle, but replay from the end zone showed open receivers down the seam with no safety over the top. Petrus never even looked downfield. Uh, you know, I don't know much about the end zone angles because I didn't have access to them today. Um, even if it was an end zone shot, it didn't necessarily show all the receivers on the field. There were times I thought when he um, gave up pretty quickly on moving the ball down the field. Maybe he was not under duress. He was he was um, in the pocket maybe, maybe a time or two. And um, it looked like he was just determined not to take a sack. And he just, if he found a guy with, with a black jersey on, he, if he was right there in plain sight, right in front of him, he tended to give him the ball. And, and you could argue that that's not a terrible strategy because at least the ball's being transferred from a guy that does not advance it very well by running it to a guy that does. Some of these dumps, of course, can turn into long gainers. Goodson's that talented a back. Um, and sometimes it wasn't Goodson maybe, but it was him more often than not. Um, yeah, I, I would like to think that that um, Spencer will become better over time locating those receivers that are open deep downfield. We talked about this last week in flush situations, and I don't know how it's coached at Iowa right now. We talked about how we used to coach it, and that's an opportunity for a receiver to break deep down the field. And you can imagine, put yourself in the shoes of Kent State today. If their quarterback broke contain late in the game, I would certainly hope my receivers were trying to break deep downfield because we need to make something big happen. And um, I don't know that our guys are coached that way. I'm not sure how they're coached. It's really none of my business. You know, that's that's strictly in-house for the uh, for the team to discuss. But that is a good way to teach it, I think. And you heard me saying there's a reason for everything we ever did. We were playing Ohio State back in 85, and we had two passes intercepted because in flush situations our receivers were working – Parallel to the line of scrimmage, Ohio State twice undercut our receivers. And after that game, we said never again. Our receivers from that point forward, they either broke deep down the field in the direction the quarterback's working, or they came back toward the line of scrimmage in the direction the quarterback's working. Obviously, first down to win the game, you're not worried about breaking deep down the field. You're worried about getting in a position to make a first down. The other extreme, of course, if you need a big play, I'd like to believe that the quarterback and the receiver – are thinking the same way. Let's make something big happen. It's a flush situation, but if we're both on the same page, we'll have a good chance to make that thing connect. Uh, Don, how'd you feel about the? Well, first of all, I want to I want to thank B Wagner for this comment. Um, loves the post game show, and we we appreciate having him on here each and every week to talk Iowa football. And of course, we want to thank you, Don, for being on here with us. What did you think of the? roughing the passer penalty. I believe it was John Wagner. I, I, it was To me, it was a phantom call. I don't know if you saw it on replay. I did not get a good um, – I don't even know if they showed the replay in the stadium. I can't remember. Uh, sometimes somebody's talking to me maybe, and I might overlook a replay in rare cases, but I don't remember the play. I don't remember how bad the call was. I, th- I think if you uh, – w- w- are you planning on watching this game back, Don? Yes. So when you watch this game back, I think you'll uh, – I I would have to think you'll agree. It was a phantom call. The referee called it a high hit. It was a good acting job on the part of uh, the Kent State quarterback. I'll say that. Gotcha. Um, I did have a note here. Late in the game, the game was sealed. Iowa puts in Alex Padilla. 
I understand you're running down the clock, and I understand you want to get out of Dodge. Is it wrong to give Alex Padilla a couple of pass plays? Absolutely not. So why is it that why is it that we refuse to give our backup quarterbacks meaningful snaps? I'm not talking about a snap where you hand off to LaShawn Williams. Why can't we have meaningful snaps where you give your your quarterback an opportunity to throw? Well, at, at the at this point in the game, of course, it's thirty to seven. Our defense has fought hard to keep them with seven points, and and I will admit, um, of course, we ran a double cut late in the game with our ones, so. You wouldn't expect us to run another double cut with the twos, of course. The twos were in there. So a simple out route, if you called it, there is a chance, of course, that it would go the other way. Uh, I would say that's on Padilla if it does. You know, first thing you got to do if you're – typically if you call out routes and you've got two outside receivers, well, you don't have to throw the ball to one particular receiver. You can throw it to the left or the right receiver. That's a pre-snap read. You know, if you're worried if this guy's playing soft alignment and this one's not, obviously you take the soft alignment. Um, if you're really worried about that, you know, maybe you checked her run. And then when, when Coach O'Keefe says, why did you check out of the pass, at least you'll be able to say, I was uncomfortable throwing the out route versus a corner that looked to me like he might jump the play. That would have been okay. But let's face it, at that point, they probably had backups in the game too. And that guy's just worried about us not running by him. So I think it's safe to say the out route would have probably been just fine. Don, it was a three-score game. I mean, we're talking a 23-point game, and we're not yeah. talking any three-score game. It would be three touchdowns with two two-point conversions in there. I, I just don't – I don't understand the – you know, what, what happens when Spencer goes down? I guess that's my big question. Well, here's an even better call than a simple out route. Same situation. Padilla's in the game. Okay, fine. We ran the ball on first down. We ran the ball on second down. I think it was third and short, as I recall. Um, I believe is that right? Did we fall start on third down? I think that sounds right, but I yeah. But here's a good third down call. Don't call a simple out route. Let's go ahead and run a naked. Let's let's fake a run. Let's roll Padilla out of the pocket. Now yeah. he's got a run run pass option. Unless the guy's wide open, run the ball for the first down. He's a good runner. That's a play that we might run with Padilla at the game site. Nothing wrong at all with checking to see how he might perform with plays that might actually show up on the call list for Alex Padilla. And I'm not trying to knock Brian. I'm not trying to knock Kirk. And I know you're not doing that, Don, but no. I, I would love to know the logic behind, and this is not the first time this has happened. I believe Padilla got in the game week one and you don't really give him much of an opportunity to show. I mean, if he's the number two guy, Let's see what he's got. I'm not saying he's going to take over the job for Spencer if he completes a couple of passes, but if Spencer goes down with an injury, you want to be able to have a guy who's thrown a pass in an actual game. And if you're not going to do it against Kent State, when are you going to do it? That's exactly. Um, I think we might have touched on this last week, maybe not, but A&M beat up on Kent State in game one. One week later, A&M went to Colorado. Do you remember the score? I believe it was 10-3. to 3. It was 10 uh, 10, seven, I thought it was 10-7, but, but I get yeah. – yep. Anyway, one-score one game, A&M scored late in the game to win the game. What you might not be aware of is that starting quarterback was injured early in the game. And that, that second-team quarterback struggled not just for a short time, he struggled for a long time. They finally won the game at the end, and he certainly was not prepared to play. They dodged a, a, a real bullet in that game because Colorado could e easily beat them. Incidentally, I think Minnesota shut out Colorado today. Is that right? 
I believe that's right. I believe Colorado had 67 yards of total offense in that game. Go figure. It's hard to understand. You know, maybe Minnesota, even without Mo Ibrahim, you know, I don't know what to think about Colorado. Again, you you talked about the Texas A&M game, but maybe Minnesota is still a player without without Ibrahim. It's hard for me to believe that they're the same team because he was that good a back. That's nothing against the second team back, but not hard for me to imagine that Ibrahim was far and away the best back. I don't know that, but that's what I suspect to be the case. Okay, so looking ahead, Don, let's shift our attention, take the last few minutes of our show to talk about Colorado State. I know you'll watch more tape on them this week, but you, I know you watched some, some Colorado uh, State tape here these last few days. Uh, what do you expect to see? What are they, the, the Rams? Are they the Colorado State Rams? What Rams, do you expect yeah. to the Rams next week in Kinnick? Well, the good news, a lot of our listeners wouldn't be aware of this, but the Colorado State head coach was the head coach at Boston College. Steve Adazio is his name. We played him in a bowl game not very long ago, right, and beat him. Um, so uh, his philosophy on offense is pretty traditional. You know, it's a, an offense based on a power running game, play action passes. Um, maybe they changed up today. Who knows what they did today? Maybe that's one reason they won the game is they were not so predictable with how they play. Uh, but the thing that sticks in my mind, I'm looking at their games from last year, they played Fresno State, Wyoming, Boise State, and San Diego State. And and they were one and three in those games. Oh, they beat Wyoming. They lost to Fresno. That's nothing to be embarrassed about. They lost to Boise. Boise's very good, too. They lost to San Diego State. They're also very good. The thing that amazed me is they were horrible in the kicking game. A couple of those games, they gave up a kick return and a punt return for a touchdown, or maybe they had a field goal and a punt blocked in the same game. They were atrocious in the kicking game. That was the biggest weakness I saw last season with them. Now this year, as you know, they started off losing to South Dakota State. They lost a heartbreaking close game to Vanderbilt, uh, but then they put it all together in game three against Toledo. So they're a dangerous team um, because uh, Kent State did a good job of hanging with us and matching up with us, then you can bet that Colorado State, they gain confidence against Toledo. You can bet that they're going to feel uh, that they can come in here and represent well, just like just like Kent State did. So it'll be a, a challenge all over again. I think we touched on it last week, Corey. We have now graduated from the ranks of the hunter to the ranks of the hunted. And we're going to get everyone's best shot. That'll include Colorado State. It'll include every team on that schedule. And we better be prepared for that because that's exactly what we're going to get. People don't get very many chances to play a top five team. They're not going to they're not going to not take advantage of that opportunity. Um, I don't want to totally shift attention from Colorado State to Maryland because obviously Colorado State comes first in the schedule. Observation from the Maryland game last night. First of all, we know how explosive Maryland can be offensively. Um, Demas is a, a really good wide receiver for the Terrapins. Um, obviously, Tagovailoa has a, has a good arm. He's a, he's a small guy. He's, I think, 5'11". Um, to me, my biggest takeaway from Maryland last night, a lot of lack of discipline. I think they got, had at least two guys ejected for targeting. On I, I thought both of them were very good targeting calls. They look like dirty hits to me. Yeah. Um, what were you, maybe let's just get your observations from that game last night because Maryland is coming up in two weeks. 
Well, the first one for sure, I wasn't surprised at all that the guy was ejected because he really did launch himself at the quarterback. Um, didn't get a really hard hit on him, but just the fact that he launched himself, I think probably affected the thinking a little bit. He did have the crown of his helmet down at the time too. Um, so you're right. I think Maryland has the reputation for being an undisciplined team. They've always been one of those teams that, that might um, say it this way. Um, you know, somebody's band is going to play a lot. If it's going to be a big play on their part, their band's going to play. Or if our band was at the game, I'm, I doubt that we'll be back east on a Friday night with our band. But if they were there, uh, you know, Maryland has players that would make big plays for both teams. You can say the same thing about our quarterback over at Nebraska, of course. He's been known to make big plays for both teams, too. So uh, it'll be a game of big plays when we play Maryland, I think. The challenge for us is to somehow stymie those Maryland big plays because they they historically do that against everybody they play. And, Don, just a couple quick hits before we sign off. Nebraska played Oklahoma close, which I, I kind of expected them to play it close. The, the line was ridiculous in that game, so Nebraska covered, but, of course, Oklahoma winning. Really impressive stuff from Michigan State. They are – boy, Kenneth Walker looks really good in the backfield right now. They just – completely obliterated Miami today on the road. Um, they look like a different team. And I know you you know Mel Tucker. He has really done well these first two seasons. Yes, he has. I'll tell you another team that impressed me today. Uh, Northern Illinois plays pretty good football. And they went up to the big house and got spanked severely. And you say what you want to about Michigan, but it looks like Michigan's going to be in the fight too. Right now, I'm really glad we don't play either Michigan State or Michigan because both of them look like Serious contenders for the East title. And I'm still thinking my lucky stars, Don, we're not playing Ohio State. <laughs> Let's save that for Indianapolis, hopefully. Um, Cincinnati beat Indiana. Boy, Indiana was up 14 nothing early in that game and just turnovers. Michael Penix is just not playing football like he was last year. Um, I'm not sure what's going on with him. but uh, And then you mentioned the Minnesota win over Colorado. Purdue battled Notre Dame for a while, but the Irish end up winning 27 to 13. Ohio State over Tulsa 41 to 20. Rutgers over Delaware 45 to 13. Duke, boy, Northwestern came back in that game. It was one-sided for most of the game. Northwestern pushed the Blue Devils, but Duke wins 30 to 23. Um, and then, of course, right now over on ABC, which I'm sure you're going to head over there as soon as we're done here, Don. Auburn leading Penn State 10 to 7 second quarter. And uh, Penn State deep backed up into its own territory. So, um, of course, we, as you can see on the screen, Iowa-Colorado State next week, 2.30 p.m. Central Time inside Kinnick Stadium and on Fox Sports 1. Don, do you have anything to add on Kent State, on the schedule ahead, on the struggling offense and an exceptional defense? Well, for those that really um, are always interested in the analytics, this was a hard game to do, the Kent State game. You think about it, um, five of their six games were one-sided games. I'm talking about last year and this year. Average margin was over 36 points a game. And several of those games they won, but a couple of them they lost. And what I got into with the analytics, there were no less than six parameters that were 100% win. If you won the parameter, you won the game. Of course, our, our coaches knew what they were, and I'm sure the players got the word too. But just for the record, it was outrush your opponent. We did that. It was win on time of possession. We did that convincingly. It was be better on critical downs. We got that accomplished by a pretty good margin. 
Um, those were the top three. We won all three of them. Uh, uh, anybody that asked before the game, if we can win those three, assuming that turnovers are close and they were even, then I think there's no doubt we're going to win the game. And that's exactly what took place. The other thing we were really good with, as we've been kind of our tradition, we're stingy in the red zone. And that remains. One time they scored, one time they got zip. And uh, uh, that's always encouraging. And we've got a proud tradition of being stingy in the red zone. It's it certainly happened at least each, each of the last three or four years. And I know those defensive players know and take great pride in being really, really – just because you're in – even inside our 10-yard line, I hope you don't think you're going to get a touchdown because we're going to make you kick a field goal. Or if you want to go for it on fourth down, you may come up entirely empty. So it's your call. You want to kick it or you want to go for it? You know, our guys play with that kind of confidence in the red zone. And that showed up again today because we got a key stop late in the game in the third quarter that certainly made the game a lot easier in that fourth quarter than it would have otherwise been. If, if they get a touchdown there, you're back to a one-score game. You're back to a two-point game even. And who knows how it might have played out. The only thing I can guarantee you, it would have played out a lot different. Maybe we would have won it anyway, but it would have been a different – scenario and that's just the way football is you know one key play in a game affects everything that happens thereafter and uh, thankfully that was a really huge play in our favor and it affected what happened the rest of the game too and you mentioned critical downs don iowa came into this game just 30 percent uh on critical down or excuse me on third downs they were eight of 16 today so an improvement there 50 percent. they were one of three on fourth down so uh, that's probably going to be a bugaboo at least this week, but in practice. But uh, overall, critical downs were better. And um, in their defense, one of those failed fourth down attempts was in punt formation. Right. right. <laughs> Hopefully, that is corrected. And uh, I love you know I love trickeration, Don. I'm sure you do too. When it's called at the right time, you know uh, we've seen some really impressive trick plays uh, since Lavar Woods has taken over special teams, but that was not one of them. <laughs> well, the thing about trick plays, and you know this, we've talked about it offensively. Uh, a lot of people don't understand this, and it applies to the kicking game too. I had a, a coach, a very respected coach one time. He said, the only problem with trick plays, they require too much practice time. And I'm sitting there thinking, no, they don't, because trick plays do not require great execution. They only require good execution. The reason it only requires good execution is you got the element of surprise. Right. If you're gonna if you're gonna run outside zone and you're the University of Iowa, you better practice that a lot because everybody's gonna try to stop that play because they know that's part of what you do. Um, but here's the rest of the story about trick plays. A lot of people say, well, that's that's all well and good, except you gotta you gotta guess if they're gonna be in the right defense or not. The answer there, I would tell them, is you put it on your quarterback. Uh, honestly, through the years, I can think of very few times when a quarterback had to check out of a trick play and he's well schooled, he knows, let's just say for the sake of argument, this is a trick play that has to be against man coverage. Okay. What do you do if you get zone coverage? You check out of the play. We might turn around and call it the very next play, uh, but we don't waste it. That's the point. We don't waste it. We simply put it on hold, run some other play that's more sound than the trick play. And then we come back and I don't think I ever had to call one more than twice to get it run in a game. Usually I guess right the first time, if I guess wrong with the defense, then the quarterback bails us out and we call it again later in the same game. Don, 
We have enjoyed it as always. We appreciate everybody tuning in to uh, listen to Iowa Post Game at the Voice of College Football. I want to remind everybody if you are just a college football fan, Mark Rogers and the Voice of College Football, we have 16 different live post game shows after different college football games uh, each weekend. So tune in, subscribe here, Iowa at the Voice of College Football, or if you're listening over at Big Ten at the Voice of College Football and get content, not only live content on Saturdays after every Iowa game, but also throughout the week. Don, we look forward to next Saturday, and let's get another win and move to 4-0. Me too, Corey. Let's see what Penn State can do with Auburn. All right, we'll do it. For Don Patterson, I'm Corey Bratta, and Iowa at the Voice of College Football. We will talk to you soon.